Hello, good morning. Yeah, it is a little warm in here, I understand, but y'all are doing good. It feels better out there with all the fans, I think, a little, a little bit, but... Um, uh, welcome, everybody. My name is Taryn Howe. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, welcome everyone online. You're probably a lot cooler than we are right now, but that's okay. We're not envious. We're glad to be here. And I want to say a big welcome to all of our new people that are here this morning. I, I know it's really, it's difficult to come to a church. Like if you, it, and for those of us who come every week, we forget about this, but uh, it, it's difficult to go to a new church, whether you haven't been to church in a long time or never been before. So thank you for coming. We hope this place feels like home and family to you. I had uh, somebody, because it was even warmer this morning when I came in on the worship team, asked if one of the you asked for it questions that we're going over was talking about hell today and that we were just trying to set the mood. So no, we're not, we're not doing, that's, that's not it. And then my wife works back in First Kids, and it, they have a different AC unit back there. So it's cold back there. And she said, tell everybody we are not cutting the AC back on until we get some more volunteers. So I'm just sending, I'm spreading the message to you, just letting you know. But uh, uh, we're, in the, we're in the middle of a series today called You Asked For It. We just started this last week, and Rick kicked it off with, a question talking about how do I know that I'm really saved? If you missed that, go back and listen to it. And we've got an exciting question today. If you will, bow your heads with me though. Let's start off with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for uh, this question. And God, I pray that my words today not be my words, but they be your words that you would speak to the hearts and minds of everyone listening. That we would be convicted and challenged and encouraged in the ways that your Holy Spirit would move us to be. We thank you for the way that you love us, and we thank you most of all for Jesus. It's all about him, all glory, all honor due to him. He is the one worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so before I get to the question, though, I have a little game to play. Um, everybody likes a game, right? And if you don't, I'm sorry, bear with me. It, it really, it does help the question. It's not just some random game, but this is about, uh, I, I've, I'm going to show you a picture. Well, I'll, I'll just, I'll show it to you. That's okay. So this picture is Wizard of Oz, right? Everybody knows this. That's over, what, 30, 25, 30 years old. And there's, um, these are commonly misquoted lines from movies. So I have five of these. This will be a practice one. Although I guess they're all practice because I'm not keeping score. So just pretend that this is a practice. It's a misquoted line. So this is what we commonly hear said in this quote, right? Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore, right? Anybody ever heard this? Anybody? Yes. That's not the line in the movie. You know that, right? Okay, so that's, that's what I'm saying. Does anybody just, you know, we're not going to really shout these out. I mean, unless you want to, you can get with it. But does anybody think they really know what it does say? Yeah, me neither. It's really hard. Oh, we, you had, we had a couple. We had a couple. No. Uh, so I showed this to a couple different people. There's five of them. The best score anybody got was one out of five. So let's see if anybody can beat that. Go ahead and play it. If you're online, we like to have you play it online. But okay, so the misquote, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Give you a second to think about it. The actual quote is, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Nobody says, I have a feeling. Okay, that's weird. That doesn't make sense. So some of these quotes, they only change maybe one or two words. Like it's, it could be really small, but it changes the big picture of it, right? So let's go to the next one. Jaws. Great movie. Great movie here. The misquote, we're going to need a bigger boat. Now I have to say, I didn't know this quote came from this movie. And I've said this quote before. And, and I'm thinking, I didn't know it even. But only, only one word in this has changed. Does anybody know what it is? And you want to shout it out. Any, the, I'll give you a hint. It's the first word. What? Your. 
you're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah, because he's talking to the captain. See, there you go. This one, I had to go and watch the movie because I did not believe that it was this wrong. Okay, I had, I had a little trouble with this one mentally, you know, letting this one sink in. So the quote, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? Does anybody just know the first real word? If you're one of the people I showed this to, don't cheat, okay? Because I, I know. Anybody want to say it? Magic. Yes. Magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Not of them all. Come on. I didn't know that. I had to go watch it. It's true. True story. Okay. Dirty Harry. Here we go. Do you feel lucky, punk? Okay. This one, I, I had a lot of people get this one right. Anybody, anybody know this? Anybody? We got a couple. Oh, Tobin, Tobin's like, I got this one. The real quote, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Okay. I didn't do a very good Dirty Harry right there. That wasn't good. I wasn't trying. But, and then this is, I'm categorizing this as the most misquoted of all misquotes. That, I just made that up. But it's, I, I, it probably is. I'm trying to go ahead. There we go. Luke, I am your father. Come on, this is Empire Strikes Back. Everyone, everyone has said this. You're like, no, it is Luke, I am your father, right? No, the correct first word is no. no. All right, we had a couple. Okay, so who got at least, did anybody get at least three of these? All right, all right. We got, that's, you got three, three up, oh, somebody up here. Uh, they're teenagers, I don't know if they're telling it. Yeah, I'm sure you did a great job. You're looking it up on your phones, okay? No, so this, this does have to do with the question that we're talking about because the question that we got, and I did not filter the words of this question. I wanted to put it up here just as they wrote it because I thought it was kind of funny, their little parentheses afterwards. But it's, does God give you more than you can handle? And then they wrote in parentheses, and other lies bad churches tell us. I just thought that was kind of funny. Okay, bad churches tell us that. Does God, but the real question, does God give you more than you can handle? I mean, how many times have we heard that? I feel like I've heard this hundreds of times, right? And this is one of those things that it, it sounds really good. Like this, this sounds right, but is it the truth though? And so what I've labeled this, this sermon for today is common Christian lies, Common Christian lies. So these are things that we hear oftentimes. These are almost misquotes of the Bible, the things that sound really good. They sound like they might be accurate. Like, I think Jesus might have said that one. And I've got three of these. I, I, I had probably 10 that I had to narrow it down to that I felt like were pretty common. I had, but I, I've narrowed it down to three. And so I'm going to give you the lie, and then I'm going to kind of explain why that's a lie. And then we're going to get a truth to replace that lie. And here's what I want to say before I get into any of these is, this is not uh, to shame you if you have recently posted this on Facebook or something, because this is, uh, this is Facebook theology, social media theology right here. If you've said this, that's okay. I've said a lot of these. That, that's all right. That's what we're here to do is to learn and grow together and correct these things, right? So the first one, we'll stick with the first one that they gave us, whoever wrote this question. Uh, uh, God won't give you more than you can handle. This is lie number one. Now, I have to say, usually when people say this, they have really good intentions in saying it. Uh, usually this is when it, you say it to somebody whenever you're going through a really difficult time. You see that they're, they're facing some struggle and you just come up with this approach like, hey, you know, you must be a really 
tough person, like you've, you've got, you're very gifted because you know God won't give you more than you can handle. God has set you up for this. And, and while that sounds really good, that's, that's almost the truth. There's, there's a little bit that's in it. But I remember very specifically, my wife and I are foster parents. We had a, a boy that was with us for a little over two years. And he ended up having to leave our house. We thought at one point we would adopt this boy. And he ended up having to leave our house and went into a situation that was really, I'd say it's a pretty rough situation. And we were, we were devastated by this. I mean, my wife and I were devastated, but not just my wife and I, my kids. I mean, I remember my kids just crying in their bed. It was, you know, it, I mean, it was a hard moment. And I remember seeing this on Facebook, that God won't give you more than you can handle. And I thought, no, because this is more than I can handle, right? Like, this is more than I can handle. That, that, I'm not handling this. I'm not, like, doing this really well. And it may sound okay then, but take it to maybe another level of right now in our world, about one out of every eight Christians are facing persecution, some of them pretty extreme persecution. I just read an article not too long ago about some persecution that Christians are facing in China, and it had a picture, and I wanted to show the picture, but I thought, I can't actually show that picture in church. It was so, I mean, it was just unbelievable what Christians are going through in different parts of the world. And I, I can't imagine going to them in the middle of this, what they're facing, in the middle of these incredibly awful experiences and saying, well, God won't give you more than you could handle. Because I think they would say, that, what? Where is that coming from, right? And so I think we need to address first where it came from, and then we'll go with what we want to replace it with. So the first I want to share with you is from 1 Corinthians, first set of verses, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. I believe this is where this thought comes from. So Paul is saying here, he said, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So he's talking about temptation here. And he says, and God is faithful He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide provide a way out so that you can endure it. So really what he's saying here, it's not not saying God is not going to give you more than you can handle. He's saying actually when you're tempted though, God is going to make sure that you're not tempted beyond what you can resist. Even so, he will give you a way out of that. So Paul is actually saying you really don't have an excuse for sin because God always, always gives you a way out of that sin. Not that God is the one doing the tempting, but he provides a way out for you. And so you can't use this as an excuse. Well, like I was tempted too much and I was, no, 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 God, God gives you a way out of that. Instead, when Paul talks about, when he does talk about handling things, he talks about his own weaknesses. Paul talks so much about this. In 2 Corinthians, we see, but he said to me, so Christ saying to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul was 
Paul was very open about, there are, I, I can't handle it. This is in the middle of him talking about, you know, this thorn in the flesh, this, this weakness in Paul's life. We don't really know exactly what that is. Scholars say different things. And he was saying, look, I can't handle this. I can't do this on my own. It's only by the grace of God that I can do this. And here's why this is so incredibly important. Because I just want you to pretend for, with me for a second that God comes to you, he puts it on your heart, he speaks to you, and he's saying, I want you to go and be a missionary in a third world country, and you're going to face all kinds of terrible scenarios and persecutions or whatever it is, or maybe stay here and he has stuff for, that he wants you to go do, whatever it is that he's asking you to do, if it's based on how, how much we can and more than what we can handle, our excuse can be, well, God, God doesn't really mean that for me. Like God's not calling me to do that. There's no way because God, I can't handle that. This is why the truth we want to replace this lie with is God won't give you more than he can handle. God won't give you more than he can handle because it's not based on our own ability. So this way, when God does come to you and he asks you to go and do something and go be a missionary or go whatever it is, the, the response should look like God I can't do that, but I know that through you I can. Because it's not based on your own ability, it's not based on your own power, how good you are, how smart you are, how much money you have, how, you know, any of these things, it's all based on, okay, if God asks you to do something, is it, on, is it dependent on getting done on me or on God? And our dependence is totally on God. So that's lie number one. Lie number two. Now, this one is going to take a little bit of explaining here. I'm a good person. <laughs> right away when you read that, you're like, I don't really like this one very much, Darren. <laughs> like, this one doesn't feel very good. But let me, let me give you a little bit of context for this, though. And this is, this is really what I mean by it. When I think that we have this thought about I'm a good person, here's how I think it plays out. And maybe this isn't for you. Maybe this isn't you at all because you are just not like me. But this is me. So I'll just tell you how it plays out in me is I will think, you know, I know that I've given my life to the Lord and I'm a sinner and I'm, I'm faulted, but at least I don't sin like that person over there. And it's not something I say out loud, but sometimes this is, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm confessing my sin here. At least I don't sin like this person over here, or my sin looks different than theirs. And Jesus tells a parable that talks exactly about this from Luke 18. I don't have it in your notes, but you can go read it later. I think it's Luke 18, 9 through 14. And he gives this idea that he's telling a story, and he says this Pharisee, so this high and mighty religious leader, and this tax collector, which are just... The, these awful sinners, scum of the earth. You may still think that about tax collectors today, but I'm saying back then they were, they were really rotten. They would lie, cheat, steal, kill, all kinds of things. So this Pharisee and this tax collector walk into the temple together and they go in to pray. And the Pharisee, I want to read his prayer. It says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people. This is, yeah, this is Jesus' words here. So, these robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I earn. Way to go, Pharisee, right? And so that's his prayer. And then it goes to the tax collector's prayer. And it says the tax collector couldn't even, Jesus is saying he couldn't even look up to heaven. Because he knew that, you give this picture of he's just, he knows he's not worthy. 
He couldn't even look up to heaven. And he says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. It's such a simple prayer. And Jesus says, and one of them walked away justified in front of God. Obviously, the tax collector. It was this man that walked away justified. Now, I want to pause for a second, because even when you hear that story, some of you thought, I'm so glad I'm not like this Pharisee who looks at other people like this. And when you do that, you're doing the same thing. It's all right, you'll catch up. You'll get it later. That's okay. But I know, that's in the story. You got to stop yourself, okay? Yeah, so you, when we look at this, though, one of these just knew how sinful they were. And the problem in this, the reason we do this is because we compare ourselves to the wrong people. We will compare ourselves to other sinful people just like us. And, but none of them are the standard. We're not the standard. It's Jesus. Jesus is the standard. And our lives in comparison to Jesus, when we look at him, we say, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. There, there is no good response other than that. Like, there's nothing I can do, God. It's, it's all about you. You are the one who is good. Even Jesus says, only God is good when he's talking to the rich young ruler. Uh, one of the best explanations of this that I, I think uh, Paul shares is in Romans 3, 21 through 26. And he says, but now, and this is, it's a little complicated, I'll try to, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. So there was this thought you became righteous by following the law, but that never worked out for anybody because they just sinned and the law just showed people how sinful you actually are. He says, but now it's been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So this is what they told about. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You want to hear just like the basic of basic gospel messages right there. You want to be righteous? It's by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And then here's the, just kind of a key verse, 323. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's, there's no exception to that. Everybody, everybody has sinned. We all fall short of this standard of this glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So here's the message Paul has given is that we're all sinners. We may have different sin, but one of the sins that we can have is by looking at other people and saying, your sin is worse than my sin. This doesn't mean also, he's not saying that we don't, as brothers and sisters in Christ, call people out of their sin, because we are supposed to do that. But to look down on somebody because their sin looks different than us. And so the, the truth that I want to replace with this lie is only God is good. Only God is good. Now, the last one I have, this is my favorite one. <laughs> this one, this one I, feel, I think I hear this lie, you know, it, it probably, at least once a week. But my kids, they watch a lot of movies. And it's in a lot of, a lot of Disney movies, I think. It's like, and it's this, follow your heart. Ah, it sounds so refreshing, right? <laughs> like, follow your heart. And, but what is this? I mean, what does this really mean to do? And I would say what it means is to follow your desires, 
to follow your emotions, your feelings. And I'm going to say that is terrible advice. This is terrible. Because if you're anything like me, your desires and emotions and feelings can change from breakfast to around lunchtime, right? And then, and then the next day they're different too. And then the next week, because we are so inconsistent. And if you meet somebody who truly just follows their heart, you'll find that they are inconsistent. They're unsteady, unstable. And by the, whatever way the wind blows, they're going, they're going that way, right? It's, it's kind of don't really know where to land this. This is, the Bible speaks so clearly about this. I had to just narrow down scripture because there was so much that talks about how awful this is to do. So the the first one I have, I'll just go through a couple of these. Uh, Some of these are in your notes, some aren't, but Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Deuteronomy 29, 19. You don't have this in your notes if you want to write it down. 29, 19. Deuteronomy says, Those who hear the warnings of this curse should not congratulate themselves thinking, I am safe, even though I am following the own desires of my own, own stubborn heart. This would lead to utter ruin. Even Jesus says in Mark, oh, going one more. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The, uh, part, of the, part of the problem with this, though, is that our, our ways are just so much different than God's ways. So even when we think something is good... Uh, Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, there's, there's, it goes on and on and on about this, this, this that I skipped, and I'll go back to from John Bloom. I haven't read the book, but it's a, it's a book called Don't Follow Your Heart, God's Ways Are Not Your Ways. I thought, that's really fitting to what we're talking about. But he has this quote, in fact, if we do, do what our hearts tell us to do, we will pervert and impoverish every desire, every beauty, every person, every wonder, every joy. Our hearts want to consume these things for our own self-glory and self-indulgence. No, our hearts will not save us. We need to be saved from our hearts. That is well said. And this is, this is, a, this is a dangerous area. And, you know, this is something that our, uh, our young people are, are hearing all the time in some form or another. It's, you, you got to, this is the follow what makes you happy in the moment. And if it doesn't make you happy, drop it, get rid of it, and go to whatever makes you happy next. And that is, that is a terrible downward spiral way to live. And I looked at what truth, I thought through, what truth do I want to replace this with? And at first I had uh, follow God's heart, but I had a little bit of problem with that. Not that following God's heart is wrong, but I think that sometimes we miss it so much and our hearts can be so deceiving that even following God's heart, uh, we might miss that. We might think that we're really following God. So, for example, there's been a lot of people who have done a lot of ungodly things in the name of God. You know, a lot of people who have, who have claimed something to be in the name of God and really thought maybe that they were being righteous or they were being right when really they were being deceived even by themselves. 
And so I don't want to say follow God's heart. And I said I wanted something more concrete for us to really land on. And I ended with follow God's word. Follow God's word. Because his, his word that is, is never changing, you know, his everlasting word that remains the same. And this should really be our filter in life. The way we, the way we view everything. Am I doing this through what I want to do or am I moving this through the lens of what the Bible tells me to do? There's a, another verse that just came to my mind that I, I really love. It's Psalms 37.4. It says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this can be misconstrued a little bit, just like most verses can be in the Bible. Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You delight in the Lord. It does not mean that God will give you money and women and power and all of those things that maybe you desire. It's saying delight in the Lord, really, and God will show you what to desire. He will put new desires in you. You will have desires to do things for God that before you would say, I, I never in my life would have desired to do this before, but God is doing something new in me and will give you a new heart and new desires. This last thing that I just, I, I want to land on because I think, I think this combats, and it's very similar to this, but it combats all of these, these common Christian lies that we hear, these social media theology, um, is that the word of God the Word of God should be our filter for anything we hear, say, or do. The Word of God should be our filter for anything we hear, say, or do, or believe, or think, or, I mean, you can go on with that. And just to expand on this a little more as we close out, it, the Word of God should be your filter in such a great way that even if you hear something that I say that you think contradicts the Word of God, you should trust what the Word of God says over what I say. And then you should come and tell me, hey, I think you got this wrong, Taryn. And I'll, I'd, hopefully I'll say, you know what? I do have that wrong. Thank you. It, it, the word of God is in every area of our lives needing to speak into it. But here's the issue that we have. that We have to know what the word of God says. And we can't know it as in, like, hey, I can go and pick out a verse over here and, and I can use that to kind of justify what I want or what I'm doing in my life because that, that actually leads to a more dangerous thing. We have to really know it. We have to know it in its context and know it in its fullness. And so that's really what I want to encourage you in today as we leave. To not get caught up in our, our common Christian lies, we have to know the Bible. And this, this your greatest time to grow as a Christian should not be on Sunday morning during service. It should be the time that you spend in the Bible every week, hopefully every day. I have to remind myself a lot of days, get back into it, because some, some days it's easy, some days it's not, but we should be using that as our filter for everything in life. As we close out today, we're gonna, we have another song that we're going to sing, and then we're going to go into a time of communion uh, I, I want to just say two things. First, if today you've made a decision, maybe you realize I'm not that good. I'm not, you know, Jesus is the one who is good. It's not me and I need to give my life to him. We want to know about that. There's a card in the back of the pew in front of you. You can fill out and drop in the orange baskets as you're leaving. But we're going to move into a time of communion. And this is really a time that we celebrate what Jesus did. We remember what he did when he went to the cross on our behalf. And so it's a time really to say thank you 
Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for taking my sin on because I could not do that myself. Thank you for taking away my guilt and my shame. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer together.